Hello and welcome to the Faith Seeking Understanding podcast. I'm Roland, this is Matt, and we are busy looking at the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Not wisdom literature. Sorry, not wisdom literature. The, the, the network of wisdom in the Old Testament. Sure, let's go with that. Okay, okay. So, so far we've questioned whether wisdom literature as like a category to put three books, the... Um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job into them, you know, cordon them off from the rest of the Old Testament makes sense. We've said it doesn't make sense. And the idea, this idea that you could do this, even though it's fairly common these days, is relatively new, right? It came in the 18, halfway through the 1800s. Yeah. Um, then we were like, okay, so what do we do then? Like, if we, if we aren't going to look at these books, like the wisdom literature category, what, how do we think about them? And so we're, we're looking at them through, well, we were looking at wisdom through two lenses. So first it's, where does the word wisdom get mentioned the most? Right. And so there we're looking at, uh, well, actually I'll, I'll come back to that. And then secondly, the figure of Solomon, right? Those are the two, because a lot of these things are connected. They try and make implicit or explicit connections to Solomon. So given those two things, we started our journey in 1 Kings 1 through 11, the story of Solomon. And we saw some interesting nuances that we have to learn about Solomon and uh, what his story reveals about the relationship between wisdom and the fear of God and obedience to God and all those sorts of things. Want to add anything to that? No, I think go listen to the episode if you want yeah. to learn more. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now we're, we're on our way towards Proverbs as the first book that we're going to look at. But... On our way, we're going to make a stop alongside this idea of the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. It comes up a lot in the Old Testament, but particularly once you get to Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which are the two books we want to look at, it's quite prominent. Ecclesiastes ends with the phrase, fear God and keep his commandments, because this is the whole point of human life, right? Yeah. And Proverbs is famous for saying um, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so before we get there, we first want to take a break and think about this phrase fear of God I think maybe if we were in a different time we wouldn't need to yeah um, but these days uh, there tends to be a lot of pushback against this idea of fear we think of God as he, he's got to be a God of love he's got to be um, you know he's a father who cares for us so why would we fear him right um, and maybe even maybe we think well fear maybe is an appropriate emotion for the Old Testament but certainly by the time we get to the New Testament, fear is gone. You know, um, it doesn't make any sense now that Jesus is around. Yeah. Never mind the fact that he's the one that speaks about hell the most in the Bible. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I think it's worth us, well, we think it's worth spending some time on this and clear, clearing up a few things, clearing up the misconceptions and maybe helping us understand the Bible as a whole on the idea of fear before we then look at how it specifically works in Proverbs. Yeah, right. So, how do you, let's start with Matt, how do you typically, how is fear typically dealt with? How have you seen it dealt with before? Yeah, I mean, I think the the most common view that I've, that I've come across, and I think probably, I've probably held it for myself for a good long time, is that fear just means reverence. Reverence or, or, or respect. Um, something along those lines that you... You, you fear a king, you respect a king. Or we, we fear God, we just have a sense of all reverence, respect for God. That's sort of flattened out as 
Yeah. I, in in sermons, I, I'm always, because I've been fascinated by the idea of fear for forever, just because yeah. it does seem like such a strange thing to attribute to God, right? Yeah. It's, it is intriguing that, that it would be so prominent. Um, and I'm always, any time a passage mentions the fear of God, I'm always on the lookout for like, okay, how are they going to deal with that? Like, and yeah. typically what happens is they completely ignore it. That it's as if the passage didn't have the word fear in it. Yeah. And then the way that they get around that, if the word is prominent in the passage, they'll be like, yeah, and this fear means reverence. And then they move on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's that's what I've come across as well. Um, now, in fairness, I probably did that too once upon a time. I think um, I've also been interested in this, though, that actually the there's probably more to say here, and when you start scratching around, there's definitely more to say. Yeah, I think when I gave a sermon once on this, also when I was, th that's like the best, I think the best I could do at the time was the C.S. Lewis um, Narnia thing, where he um, uh, says, like, yes. is Aslan safe? And he's like, no, he's not safe, but he's good. Yeah. And then we kind of ended there, which, okay, to its credit. It's a nice illustration. It's a nice illustration. It's short and sweet. Yeah. And it, and... It, it it points to there being something more than reverence. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, it's not safe. Okay, so there's something going on here more than just like, oh, you should pay attention to him kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, it doesn't actually help us analyze it. It's it's a literary... I mean, C.S. Lewis being a literary genius, it's a literary way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and so I think what we want to do here is figure out, okay, well, what is fear, just in general? And then how does that work itself out in some key passages in the... Old, particularly Old Testament, but also maybe in the New Testament if we have time. Yeah, see how it's pulled through. Yeah, cool. So I'll give my. Shall I give my? Uh, shall I go ahead and give my yeah. definition of fear? Yeah, okay, so through. I think I think of fear as having two aspects in it. It's got an aspect of the intellect about how you think about the world, and it's got an aspect about your will about like whether you, you know whether the world has something you want or don't want. Mm -hmm. Right? So is it good or bad kind of thing? Right. So in terms of the intellect, there's an awareness of a possibility. So you can think of this in terms of like, okay, you can think that something will be the case, right? Like I, I think tomorrow the sun's going to come up, or I don't think, I doubt that the, the sun's going to come up tomorrow, or I doubt that there'll be electricity for the whole day in South Africa tomorrow. It's a great example. Um, but then if you're, if you're intellect, so that's the two attitudes of your intellect, like you believe it's the case with a high probability, or you don't believe it's the case, right? But then you can also say, okay, well, I don't know one or the other. Like, I'm not focusing on whether it will happen or not. I just know that it's possible. Mm. That's what I mean by possibility awareness. There yeah. isn't really an English word for that. I mean, I, in the past, I've used the word uncertainty. Yeah. But it's not really about you not knowing whether it happens. It's more about just like, I'm aware that there's a possibility here and, and that's it, right? Yeah. Which actually is a very real part of human experience. It's, it's so... A little bit surprising that we don't have a word for this. I mean, I have been looking on the dictionary. Like, every time I start to think about this, I'm like, maybe this time I'll find a word in the dictionary that yeah. captures this. And it's just, this is nothing that yeah. we just, they just, it always ends up landing in fear. Okay. <laughs> it's like, All right. Okay, fine. Um, <clears throat> so that's the first aspect, right? The second aspect is that it has to do with, so the thing that you're aware of, the possibility you're aware of, it has to do with pain or something bad in some way. Right. Right. So that's the... So when you're aware that something, when you're aware of the possibility of some badness. So you can think about this in like a normal case of like normal instances of fear. Like, uh, you, okay, I, I say normal. And now I'm going to go to a haunted house. <laughs> I don't know how many of us have been. No, just your everyday experience. Yeah, yeah right. Walk into the um, shack. 
But you can okay. But uh, let's say you're in a, watching a movie, right? And the characters are, are they are afraid because they can hear noises in the house, and that so like okay, there might be something going on here. So now they're aware of the possibility. Yeah. They and they're thinking about this possibility in terms of being bad for them. So it might kill them. It might do something drastic. Whatever. Now they fear. Yeah. Right. It's different in English, I think, from the word dread. Right. Which is still something to do with bad, but now you're thinking it's going to be the case. So it's yeah. like when you're looking forward to something, you can see that it's going to happen and it's bad. That's something you dread. Yeah. I'm dreading that exam tomorrow. Yeah, there's nothing I can do to take away this exam. I just yeah. know that's coming and it's going to be awful because yeah. I haven't studied enough or, you know, whatever. Right. And why do you fear? Why do you dread it? Because you fear you might do badly. Yeah. Because it's possibly you're very aware of the possibility of you doing badly. And there are consequences that I'm not going to like. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So that, I think that's a, a starting point. Okay, so that's a general sense of fear. That would apply to all human experience. It applies to, you know, when you fear, you fear the law, you fear um, your parents' uh, punishment or something. If you, um, if you, you know, when you're doing something bad, uh, things like that. Um, I think another thing that's quite helpful just before we get into like the specific biblical things is to th- think about the way that fear can motivate us. So there's, I think there's two ways that fear can motivate us, depending on whether the object of fear, that is the thing that we fear, um, has something good in it or not. Mm. So if it's wholly bad, right? If, if, if the only, we only are aware of the possibility of badness, right? And um, it's going to impose some positive bad thing on us. So it's going to kill us or it's gonna, there's going to be a violent attack or something like that, right? Then um, we want to run away from it or we want to flee or we want to attack it. We want to destroy it. That would be like our sort of reaction to it. Yeah. But it's possible that, firstly, not only that is th- that there's a, um, a positive imposition of something bad on us like that, but it's also possible that we just fear the loss of something. So we could fear the loss of our savings. Maybe we're, you know, um, putting our money into like a, a kind of fund and we're like, well, I don't know what, what it's gonna ha- what's going to happen, how it yeah. works or anything. Then I fear the loss of my savings. Um, there, there's something good in the picture, right? There's my savings, my, my continuing to have the savings. Yeah. And so now there's a, that could draw us toward it. That could say, oh, we want to cling to it. Well, I want to hold on to my savings. Um, I want to cling to it. I want to hold to it. And the, I think that's an important thing to realize. I think we don't always realize that there are these two directions that fear can push you depending on, um, you know, uh, depending on how exactly the badness works together with some goodness mixed in there or so on. Mm. I didn't explain that very well, but hopefully we'll see that in I think as we see work itself out, we'll we'll get a better sense of how those things can hold together. Yeah. Okay, cool. So with that groundwork, let's go and look at some passages. I, I've selected some passages for us to look at. Right. My favorite passage in the whole Bible um, is Exodus 20, 18 to 21. <coughs> Just because it's so, <laughs> so paradoxical. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so this, this is in the context of God is taken the people out of Egypt. He's, he's rescued the people from Egypt and he's brought them to Mount Sinai and now he's appearing to them in this very scary situation, right? Like he's, there's uh, loud trumpet sounds. He's, he's told them like if they touch the mountain, they'll die. Like, you know, the stakes are high, um, the thunders and flashes of lightning and all that. And so that's the setting that we're happening, that, that's happening here. So it says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. 
The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. I love that. Phrase. Yeah, that's that's a mind bender. <laughs> <laughs> and just in case we want to get around this with translations, it's the same word. It's the same word. It's the same root. It's the same everything. He's not saying like don't do one thing and do another thing. Yeah. Um. Amazing. And you can see here, I think the two aspects that I was talking about, where the people want to stay far off. They want, they want to run away. I mean, if they could, they would run away, right? But where are they going to run to? Yeah. Back to Egypt? Well, I, I guess if you're Solomon, you'll send them back to Egypt a bit later. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then Moses is drawing toward God. He's coming toward God because he knows that there's something good there, despite how scary all of this is, right? Yeah. And I think also here, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to get away with the reverence language because they literally are, they're terrified, they're trembling. And this is genuinely scary, right? Like they thunder and flashes of lightning and the side where's this trumpet sound coming from like what is going on yeah um this mountain on fire or smoking it's like okay that's genuinely scary stuff um so how would you would you do you have any thoughts on this i mean it's it it just feels like okay again the way that i've often heard this this one explained is is that um fear the first time just talks about terror Fear the second time talks about just reverence or awe. Mm. And it's just, that's always struck me as a bit of slides of hand. Mm-hmm. There hasn't mm-hmm. been enough of a reason to see them, these two instances of fear being different. Like why, why the shift? What, what evidence do we have that there's a shift? And um, aside from us just needing to make sense of it somehow. Yeah. 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 It, it, it just doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think that I haven't been, I haven't really been satisfied with, with, um, with that answer. I think there's something interesting in the, in the all language, right? Cause I feel yeah. like in, when you, when you're in, when you have awe of, well, we should say whatever the fear of the Lord is, it does include reverence and awe. Yeah, sure. Sure. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's fine. But, um, you can revere people that you're not terrified of mm. and awe is quite a passive thing, right? I, I just stand in awe. And I'm like, oh, you're amazing, right? Yeah. But here he's saying, the fear of the Lord is going to motivate you not to sin. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really, I don't know, that doesn't really flow. You know, I'm in awe sometimes when I watch movies and they, you know, they do these like amazing things. You're like, wow, that's so cool kind of thing, yeah. man, you know? Um, but like, none of that is like forcing me to change the way that I live or something like that, right? Yeah. And so they're not really picking up on, they're not really getting at the core of it, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. And I think in this case, we have to say, okay, well, let's go back to our definition. There's the awareness of possibility of something bad. Well, I mean, that's that's it, right? Like, this is this guy is revealing himself to us. This guy, okay, <laughs> maybe that's a bit too a bit too casual. Um, yes, the God of all earth and heaven, heaven and earth, <laughs> the God of gods, the Lord of lords, is revealing himself to Israel. The fiery mountain, yeah, massive sounds, and like this right up front, in your face encounter, yeah. Um, and now he said to them, remember, he said to them at the beginning of chapter 19, when he appears to them, that like, if you obey my commandments, you will be to me a treasure possession among all the earths, a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Blah, 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 blah. So he's, he's made it clear that he wants them to be with him and that, um, that this comes with a particular <laughs> way of life, that they're, 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 it has requirements, right? Which is completely natural, given the fact that sin is what excludes us from his presence in the first place. And so now he's saying, okay, well, now he's showing them that the person that they are to live with 
is incredibly powerful. Mm. Like, right, if 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 you're against him, you're gonna die. Like, you, you're gonna die so quickly, you're not gonna know what hits you. Yeah. Right. And so, even though they can be with God, they can live with God and have this presence, they know that if they move out of this realm with him, out of this life with him, they go contrary to that life with him. Like, not good things are going to await them, right? Like, they're going to be destroyed by whatever this is, right? This thing that can shake mountains. Yeah. Like, that's what's going to, that's what they're, that's what's waiting them, mm. which is perfectly reasonable to fear. And I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying, come, come to me. And look at, look at what will happen if you leave my side, mm. right? Look at what will happen if you make yourself an enemy of me. It's not going to go well for you. Yeah. So, so that's on the, but it's in the distance. I think that's the key thing. It's not coming at you right now, which is how they're kind of conceiving of him, right? They're thinking, oh my gosh, like he's coming at us, let's run away kind of thing. He's like, no, no, no that's not what's happening. I'm asking you to come into my presence. I'm asking you to live with me. Um, but just know what's over the horizon what's over there if you choose to go your own way contrary to my way i care about what you do and it's not going to go well yeah um and so that's i think that would then if you if you look over there and you'd be like whoa that's really scary (laughs) i'm going to stay over here right oh that's motivating you not to sin right because over there that's it right i'm going to continue living with god and make sure that i participate in this life that he's created for me this awesome privilege that i have um so yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think two things stand out for me there. The, the one is when we really do business with how this God confronts them, we've got this really strong sense of the holiness of God and mm-hmm. um, something that will flow through the rest of um, the Pentateuch, um, arguably the rest of the Hebrew Bible, um, that this is a God that paradoxically wants you to come close to him but you can't come too close to him <laughs> because of his holiness. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the way in which the, the rest of the story of the Pentateuch is going to explore, how can we do this? How can we make this possible? How is this relationship going to function with a people that are tainted by sin coming towards and living in relationship with, with a God that is so holy and so um, uh, visibly so, so powerfully so? Um, so th- there's that one that one side of it that that I think we really need to to um, get a vivid sense of, um, and we mustn't brush over that in in the story. But then you've got you've got two sides of it. You've got the Israelites who, um, from early in the story, we know that their response of fear is to recoil and to and to pull away. And what Moses is wanting to say is that we want no no, I want you to fear God. He says as much, um, but. It's fear that 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 doesn't run away. It's fear that goes to that moves towards God, and fear that that operates within the the, the parameters of a covenant relationship mm-hmm. with God. That um, just a few verses later, um, a few verses later, a few verses earlier was um, was expressed in terms of uh, the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. or the Ten Words. Um, it's it's within the bounds of what does it look like to to be near to a God as unbelievably holy as us mm. yeah totally which comes with with comes with that comes with those connotations of well i mean recognize who you're de- who you who you're dealing with and if you're if you're going to go out the bounds of that covenant if you're going to turn your back on him then well know what's coming to you um but that difference of orientation i think is standing out to me at the moment 
I don't know if like this is helpful. I mean, I've used this example before. It's the best analogy I can think of, but it's, I think of it sometimes as like nuclear power. Okay. Right. Like the, it's great. Like nuclear power is awesome, right? Like it, you can power into like countries with it and like you can, it, it, with it comes all the benefits of electricity and all these things. It's also pretty clean as a, as an energy source goes compared to like, um, cool coal and, you know, and fossil fuels and so. But at the same time, like you need to be really careful with what you're doing. Like yeah. you're messing with like nuclear, was it fission? I think it's fission. Like the person to ask, you know, like we've seen what they can do in World War Two, right? Like yeah. that you're all, all in uh, Chernobyl. Yeah. But right now, yeah. and it's like, it's really, really dangerous, mm. but it's also really, really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, so do it. Like, do it. Like definitely use it, yeah. go for it. But like, be careful when you do that. Like careful not to misuse it and to, yeah. to, to mess it up. Yeah. yeah. And always be attentive. Don't, you know, if someone falls asleep one day at the nuclear power station, Okay, I don't know how many set gods they have. You know, they could press the big red button, they could fall on the big red button as they're falling asleep. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works, but just go with me here. Um, you know, and like blow up the blow up half the country. It's like, okay. But so the whole the whole issue at Chernobyl was that they didn't pay close enough attention to the safety protocols. Right. That they were just rushing through things and um, not paying enough attention and that had disastrous effects. Right, 100%. And I think that, I think that, I think that's a good, the reason I like that illustration um, for all its flaws is that um, it shows you how fear can be a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a really healthy thing to keep you within bounds because mm. we have, we have unfortunately like tendencies to get complacent as humans, to um, get distracted by this or that thing. Uh, and, and it's like, well, no, that fear is like keeping going. It's like kind of a, one of the motivating factors among others to like you could say oh they should just be motivated by like their awesomeness of electricity or something you know yeah. but it's like that's true but like that's not how human psychology works no and verges on simplistic it's um yeah are you getting something up here to talk about um there's a there's something we'll come back to okay okay cool so that's that's how I think we should then coming back to this Exodus 20 path that's how I think we should think of Moses's paradoxical statement mm. um that and it, i think it's valuable because it shows that there are different ways for fear to work and it shows where i think that maybe the um hesitancy of people to embrace fear comes from it's like they're thinking about fear in the first sense you yeah. know the israelites are fleeing away as mm. in yes that fear we should say no to just like where says don't have that kind of fear yeah but we got to remember that there's another kind of fear that god does want of us that is good for our relationship with him um, and that we're called to, um, as, as his people were from the beginning. I mean, this is his people coming to existence, right? At Mount Sinai. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think it is worth emphasizing again, though, that at its core, it's not a different, I mean, talking about it as different kinds of fear is not yes. to talk about it as essentially different. It's different in its artworking. Yeah. It's right. orientation. It's the same not- thing. You're still, you're still aware of the possibility of something bad. Yeah. I mean, both cases and. Yeah, you're right, but it's it's having a different. It's letting it influence your reaction differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so it's still different from the the sort of view that we were talking about earlier, where you've got one sort of fear that Moses is saying, no, no, don't do that, and another sort of fear that Moses is saying, yes, do that one instead. Mm-hmm. There aren't two different things. It's not reverence on the one hand and terror on the other. There is this underlying commonality about them 
something that is actually binding them together, but a difference in orientation, one which is inappropriate, the other which is actually desirable. Yeah, both are afraid, I think both are afraid of God destroying them. Yeah. Right? In both cases, Israel is afraid of God destroying them. Yeah. Just that the one case realizes that the way to not be destroyed by God is to draw towards him. Yeah. Rather than flee from him and live with another God. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay, so let's go to another passage. Um, Let's go to Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to 22. I know you're a big fan of Deuteronomy. Love Deuteronomy. <laughs> Second best book in the Bible. Second, what's the best book? Proverbs. Proverbs. Uh, what was I? As I as I asked it, as I asked it, I knew what you were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, objectively, it's the correct answer. Wow. Okay. Sure. <laughs> sure. Some some hectic things to unpack there. Maybe we'll do that in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I got. Uh, do you want to read it or I can read it? Sure. I have verses twelve to twenty-two. Cool. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth uh, with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after him, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done you who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt seventy persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. So there's a lot of there's a lot in there. Yeah. There's a lot in there. I will say I, one of the things I noticed was that when it talks about the awesome God and the awesome God, it's actually the same word for fearful. It's the ah, same, yeah. same root. So it's yeah. like saying the fearful God or something. Or maybe feel, does fearful mean he's afraid? Uh, I think evoking fear. The fear inducing, the fear inducing God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think, yeah, it's quite, this is, I, I highlighted this passage because I think it's quite interesting that the fear comes alongside all the things that um, I think we would want to affirm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. fear, fear the Lord your God. Pray. Walk in all His ways. Love Him. Serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Keep the commandments and statutes and so on. For yeah. and then it says that I'm commanding today for your good. Hmm. Right. So it's not like a ghost. We're not th- we're not talking about the fear here of a ghost that's only there to destroy you, or the fear of a warlord that's bound to like wipe you out. Yeah. We're talking about something where fear is working alongside loving God. Yeah. And recognizing that he's there for your good, that, I mean, it's tied up, I mean, it's amazing, it's tied up with his actions of justice, and um, his uh, going after the sojourner, like, mm-hmm. going after the sojourner, sounds very aggressive, like, uh, looking out for the sojourner, yeah, yeah. Uh, caring for, yeah, and, and then evoking a, a parallel response among his people who are to um, become with their worship. Um, 
reference back to a previous episode if you're if you're interested in digging that up we'll leave that in the description um below um there is also this this interleaving that 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 happens that um here and in a few other places in deuteronomy i think in, also in chapter 13 where you've got fear uh where is it now um to fear to walk in his ways to love him and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul and to keep the commands and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Um, the one way I've heard this spoken about is you've got these, um, I guess, more inward responses, um, affective responses, uh, fear, which is largely thought of um, in, I guess, at least in common parlance as, as um, a feeling. We're giving it a bit more mm-hmm. um, technical expression and kind of digging into some of what's behind it as well, um, which includes intellective aspects but but when you fear you're feeling something mm-hmm. when you love um again it has active uh, connotations and and intellective aspects but it's it's a feeling mm-hmm. um and then that's interleaved then with with more active expressions of that in um in serving in worshiping or um keeping his command walking in the way of yeah 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 that's interesting yeah um i I, I, this is a really great paper on the fear of the Lord mm. uh, by a guy called Henry Whitney. It came out in 1906, so it's quite difficult to find online. But I'll, I'll put a link in the, in the description. It's called... Um, what is it called? Hang on, I have the title here. Uh, it's The Place of Fear Among the Motives of Religion. Sure. And it's basically making this case that, like, fear is a... Fear is a good uh, motivator in many aspects of life. And in those aspects of life, it's also mixed with other desires and, and things like love. And so you fear your parents, you know, the discipline that they would give you. But it's not just fear of your parents. It's like you love your parents and you recognize that you want to be with them. Yeah. And ideally, if we could only ever, you know, motivate people by love, we would do that. Yeah. But unfortunately, like we have to come to terms with the fact that like sometimes you need a bit of a kick in the butt uh, to, to yes. keep you on the, on the straight and narrow. Yeah. And so he has this... Quote, he says, the scripture evidently regards love towards God or man as the highest motive on its lists. list. Uh, but it expects, in a multitude of cases, to be able to commit man to the guidance and tutelage of love only after he's been caught and conquered by fear. Mm. And that, I think, was a really nice thing where it's like, you're wandering off, you have this tendency to wander off. And it's like, okay, you get to the border and there's fear. And it's like, oh, okay, I don't want to go there. And I'm going I'm to walk back, right? And then as you walk back, you come to... Um, you come to embrace the love aspect, the more positive aspects as well. And yeah. so fear and love are working together yeah. to produce uh, to produce and keep you uh, in, in proper relationship with God. Which I think is also something you forget, right? Like mm. I think we think of, I mean, we've defined fear in terms of a negative thing. But, and if it were just fear, if, if that was the only way we were motivated, that would, that would suck. Sure. Right? But it's not just that way. I think the biblical picture is of... Um, fear and love working together to create like a balance that allows that allows all of you to be in, in, embraced by or all of you to embrace God uh, for your good because yeah. he's the creator he knows what's best for you he is what's best for you um, yeah in Deuteronomy 6 there's actually a, um, we, we see in, in this passage in, in chapter 10 and, and elsewhere that fear and love actually go hand in hand and in, but in Deuteronomy 6 in particular they're actually almost used interchangeably oh. so there's this um uh, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you uh, so that you'll do them in the land that you're going to possess. 
uh, so that you will fear the Lord your God and then also your um, your children, your children's children. And then when it gets to the commandment that he's been talking about, um, and so the 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 centerpiece of, of what he has to say here, he gets to, to verse 4, Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love, love the Lord your God. He's just said a moment ago that I'm giving you these commands so that you will fear. Yeah. But... And yeah. then he'll circle back around to fear um, just now as well. But there's there's a sort of this this give and take between between love and fear, where both of them are gesturing toward um, many of the same things or, or the, many of the same aspects of the relationship. And when you when you think about love and when you think about fear, I mean, in the, in some of the it's more um, rational side of things, you actually do get quite a bit of overlap. Mm. If you think about what in the way that we've been talking about fear so far um the sort of fear that moses was was pushing them towards in um in exodus that was constrained by the bounds of covenant and uh, expressed in in obedience because that's that's what it looks like to um to be in um a proper relationship with god mm. and um and in that sense entails aspects of loyalty of faithfulness of um we could maybe even go as far as trust we see a lot of those same sorts of aspects about love. When you think about love as more than just a feeling, it comes with connotations of loyalty, of faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, we could throw in allegiance for for both of those. I think, particularly in this ancient Near Eastern context, that that Deuteronomy is um, picking up. And so, what what we actually have is we've got we've got fear on the one side. We've also got love on the other. That um, in the middle here have. This have similar sorts of connotations of faithfulness, um, loyalty, all those sorts of things in their rational outworkings. Even if, on the one side, fear is um, also picking up other things mm. like terror, like um, consequences, the negatives that we've been talking about, and love picks up others like affection, mm. um, what you imagine between between uh, children and parents. Mm-hmm. Um, family that sort of thing um and the different the difference in context that actually you can see why deuteron a book like deuteronomy would want to and the Hebrew bible in general would want to pick up you've got um this idea of yahweh as a father who loves and disciplines i mean fear can also sort of come into that as well but totally, yeah. you can't think of family parents love that is sort of the um at least quite strong and dominant if you think of a king mm. i guess maybe there's a sense in which you love the king but but actually um the the sorts of connotations that more naturally come with fear might actually be yeah more, like fear uh, of the rule of the law or the consequences of breaking the law things like that yeah yeah so even like i mean if i think of this like we talk we know this right like it's so interesting to me how and i think this came this came that came very clear to me from whitney's paper it's like we know that this is how things work. Like we often will talk about a spoiled brat. Yes. Right? Which is what happens when you have ostensibly love um, without any worry of consequences or discipline. Yeah. Right? And we know that's a bad thing. Yeah. I think what's the problem is that, not the problem, but I think where we get caught up is that we think by the time we're adults, we know everything that's good for us. Mm. Or we only ever want what's good for us. And it's like, well, Realistically, you know the thought of good, you know that's not true, right? We constantly make decisions that we regret, yeah. and 
And like, so when it comes to having a relationship with the creator, like why wouldn't he do it in the most uh, like filled out and like uh, realistic to human psychology and nature yeah. um, when he does it, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Bill, Bill Arnold actually bringing these, these ideas of love and fear together in that sort of way. He actually says, ancient Israel is here in Deuteronomy learned that love and fear are not in fact mutually exclusive, mm. but they complement each other. So that love prevents terror and fear prevents irreverent familiarity. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, that's really nice. He holds them together really nicely. There are these common elements, but actually in the distinctives about love and fear, they actually work to balance each other out and to complete each other. And like, yeah, make each other function in their best way. Mm. Rather than, you know, if you had either one of them by themselves, you would, they would, it would like spiral into something very unhelpful. Yeah. But having them together enables them to like become, I guess, greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah. Right. Like that. Oh, yeah. That's good. I like that. That's a good phrase. <laughs> I think, I think it'd be worth landing the plane somewhere around here, but, mm. but there, there are one or two things that, that I think might be worth mentioning just by way of filling it out and maybe setting the stage for some of what's to come in, in future episodes. Um, so we'll talk more about the, the context of Proverbs and how Proverbs in, in um, the next few episodes, how Proverbs is picking up some of these ideas. But the one idea that was just occurring to me, especially as we were reading that passage from uh, Deuteronomy 10 about just the awesomeness of God again, is um, the way that the fear of God is spoken about in Ecclesiastes mm. and how um, particularly in a place like Ecclesiastes 3, um, you've got the sense, well, actually across across the board in Ecclesiastes, you've just got the sense of a God who is very much in control, very much at work, but we're often completely clueless as to what this God might be up to. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that we just don't know about how God is working. And sometimes that can actually just be plain terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, again, I think what Ecclesiastes does in, in, in bringing up this idea of the fear of God, it does give um, the same sort of sense of a God who is much bigger, a God who is much greater, um, a God who is very much in control and, and at work. He's, 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 he's contrasted with us, isn't he? Where, yeah. Like the Collarhead in Ecclesiastes wants to manipulate reality to, well, at least in the beginning in his initial thought experiment, he wants to manipulate reality to get the best out of it, right? Yeah. And he realizes that he can't. And yet God, yeah, God, so we're just like at, almost at the whim of, of how reality works. And it's just like, we can't really get much beyond where we are and we can't make things work the way that we want them to work. Mm. And then he, he turns to, he like sees God and he's like, everything he does from beginning to end is unaffected, you know? And it's just like, it's just huge contrast between us and him where he's yeah. just like the one setting the rules and we're just sort of, at, at his whim kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, again, this immense picture, but then he, he does conclude we should fear God and keep his commands. Mm-hmm. That our, the appropriate response, again, to, to this God is to recognize his immensity, mm. to recognize how how beyond us he is, and to respond in obedience, mm. like we see in Deuteronomy. 100%. Okay, do you want to end it there? I think we can end it there. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for joining us uh, for our brief foray into this idea of the fear of the Lord. Uh, Join us in follow-up episodes as we now uh, look at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and how all of these things start fitting together.